You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for... Actually, we're not doing dates anymore. It is episode number 504. Still getting used to that. And on today's program, we're going to be looking at kind of a different topic, but I think it's important to cover it, even though it is quite unusual. Unusual, it's kind of sadly growing more and more common. Um... This is kind of the strange thing about this. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a background. I don't know. I'm I'm going to struggle with this program. I know I will. There's recently, on the 17th of December, in... I'm trying to get the details here. This is called... I think it's in Dallas in Texas. I think it is. And there's there's a... quote-unquote church called the Cathedral of Hope, which is part of the United uh, Church of Christ. Not too sure, you know, of the denominational strength or weakness or anything else of that group. I don't know if they've got anything to do with the Church of Christ or whatever the case may be, but they had what could be called, what they called (laughs) Drag Sunday, which is basically a quote-unquote worship service, not a worship service at all, really, in any proper sense of the word, but anyway, um, a worship service which was focused, dedicated toward drag queens. Yeah, strange, I know. Ordinarily, you know, sometimes when I, I, I noticed this and I said, okay, well, it's in the United States, but unfortunately, this kind of this kind of thing's becoming more and more com- uh, common. And there was a clip I saw about of about a minute and 30 seconds, and they're kind of almost repeating back of how they feel so bad, of how they treated people in certain communities and almost repenting for the church and all the victim status stuff. And while many churches have not gone, especially if, you're, if it is an actual church, have not gone to where this Cathedral of Hope has gone to, and uh, for all intents and purposes, it looks like, well, it is a synagogue of Satan. There's no question really about it. There's no inkling of a gospel, or it just seems like a universalist church, and everybody's welcome, and that's it. Um, That seemed to be really communicated at the, the Lord's Supper at the end of the service. So, I had the displeasure of going through this. I'm not going to go through every single thing in the service. But one of the things I noticed going through this service was how man-centered it all was and how many things that are not just happening in this church. You see, what everybody's going to really focus in on is the drag queen stuff. But they're missing the real why has it gotten there. What the 
the mistakes or the sin and the core issue of what this church has gotten wrong. I'm going to call it a church for, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's apostate really. That the core issue is not even the drag queens. So of course that is sinful and that is wrong. And we know this uh, from the scriptures, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, for example, one example of how it's an abomination to cross-dress and things like that. But it's something more fundamental at its core that many churches around the world, especially in the West, are getting wrong. And it's a self-righteousness that is at the core of this whole woke movement. Now, I, I did... Also, one of the things when I was watching this, I was like going, okay, this would tie in because I did want to do something on the woke culture that seems to be sweeping across, not just culture, but also into the church and this victim status. And and it's been kind of piggybacked onto a lot of mental health issues. I do not, uh, I do not say that people don't have issues and have problems and deserve help and um, you know, pastoral sensitivity in certain cases when they need that and certain people at their side when they're going through difficulties. Absolutely. But what's happening is it, it's not just let's be, you know, have a sympathetic ear towards people of different struggles and different challenges and different trials and different depths of despair and all these kind of things and things that should be preached in the pulpit. Of course they should. But the problem is there's a victim status mentality where our wants, our desires, our self-expression is fine. And the at the pinnacle is the feeling of the, the of the creature. And we're allowing feelings to trump over facts. Now if you read J. Gresham Machen's uh, Christianity and Liberalism, which came out, was it 1923? Actually, it's uh, it's 100 years, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I just was thinking about that. I think there's there's a couple of uh, re-editions of that. Everybody needs to read that book. I read that book years ago, Christianity and, Liber- Christianity and Liberalism. And I didn't, I, I benefited from it. I think I read it. I don't even think I finished reading it, actually. I think I read most of it on a Kindle a little bit over 10 years ago. And it helped, yeah. And I, I read it in such a way and I thought, this is talking about those horrible churches over there. And when I read it again recently, I read it again, I don't know, the last six months, whenever it was, I realized that, yes, okay, a lot of what, what Machen is dealing with is liberalism a distinct a distinct religion from the christian religion however there are steps liberalizing steps that take place in churches where they depart away from biblical orthodoxy where they depart away from christian historic creeds where they depart away from historical facts and details and not saying that these things matter and go toward not a not a a doctrinally robust view of here's Jesus 
lived and all these things are historical facts and all these kind of things. No, that doesn't matter. And that goes back to a lot of German liberalism that swept across the world, really. Where, where feelings were more important than facts. I would recommend you read Christianity and Liberalism. It's still extremely helpful today. Um, you, It's one of those books you read and kind of go, you would not know when it was written. It's so helpful the way it's... You know, certain books are so specific to their time, and they're somewhat useful later on in other periods, but not this book. This book is just... I would say it's timeless, really. It's one of those books that... I would think every person in the ministry, at least, should have read it at least once. Anyway, I digress. So anyway, um, there are a lot of similarities. You know, sometimes we'll talk about the woke movement, this whole thing of... And the woke term has really only been around for a couple of years, intersectionality and all these kind of things. But in a lot of ways... Well, some of it is new, maybe in terms of certain things, but in a large way, was it Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it surely rhymes. The, the errors are rhyming quite a bit. And uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And you're going to see that at its core, it's self-righteousness. It's a lacking of humility in the mere creature who has broken God's law and no longer wants to see themselves as a sinner, just merely as a broken individual who needs help and deserves help. And the and today, I, th- I suppose what's different today maybe is the more of a victim you are, the more your voice matters. I suppose that is probably something that is unique in some ways to the woke movement. Uh, perhaps a historian could uh, chime in there, but really, I think in previous generations, men had to be, and women too, but especially men had to be tough. Times were difficult, economically and otherwise. We We think we're in the modern era, and I don't want to belittle anybody's financial troubles or anything like that. You know, people can have financial stresses even in the modern era. But compared to centuries ago, we live like kings. And we are very man-centered. We're very disconnected from the rest of history, and we think that what we're going through is usually the worst thing ever. But it's usually not. And what matters is our works. What matters is our feelings. And because I don't want us to just kind of go, the, the danger is you look at a video like this and you kind of go, oh, look at that apostate church. It's turned away from the truth. I'm so glad I'm in whatever church you're in or whatever it is. And you yourself become self-righteous and end up going in exactly the same direction. Maybe not going as far as them in certain areas, but at the same time. When the, when the worship service of God as well, another thing just before we play the clip. When the worship service of God is not about God anymore, 
It's centered about man and his purpose in life. The first question of the Shorter Catechism states man's chief end. And what is it to glorify God and to enjoy him forever? Not what not what John Piper did with that. But, you know, man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. No. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. They're very, very different things. It's not about our feelings. It's not about our self-expression. It's not about feeling included. If we're in Christ, we are included. Actually, it's not even about inclusion. It's about, look at me, me, me. I'm front and center. And everybody wants to be the center of attention. Their group, the center of attention. What they're thinking, to be the center of attention. And rather than... the, And there's seeds of this in a lot of conservative churches. You know, conservative to try and use a a scale more than anything else, because it's very hard to define either liberal or conservative sometimes. Pure liberalism is another religion. But then there's certain churches going in and more are more liberal than others, but maybe not completely, uh, but still a Christian church all the same because they haven't quite you know gotten to the point where they deny the gospel. But what you have here, when it's all about man, it's all centered about man, it becomes the first church of narcissism. And it's just a greater heightened degree before we start playing. It is just a greater heightened degree of the first church of self-expression or whatever else. It is, it's the self-righteousness. It's self-righteousness of a certain generation which wants to say anything I'm feeling, anything I'm doing, it's wonderful, approve of it. And they're calling that which is bittersweet and sweet better in the process. Okay, so um, let's get into this. This is, um, I don't know if anybody wants the displeasure of ever getting the original of this. Uh, Two seconds there. Hopefully this will make a noise when I do this. The uh, setup for this program is a little bit more rustic (laughs) than my last place. So... This is uh, 14 minutes and 40 seconds into this service, or at least this live video feed. And if you want to find us on YouTube, Drag Sunday, Compassion, Love and Action, September 17th, 2023, 10 a.m. service, uh, Cathedral of Hope YouTube channel. They have maybe 3,000. It's not really about them. This, this program's not really about them per se. It's really about I think you're going to see, hopefully a Lord willing, that a lot of our churches are going this direction. A lot of our churches, unfortunately, have the seeds of this error. No, we haven't probably perhaps gone this far. But oh, should we 
pay careful heed that we do not. So um, this is kind of an introduction. I suppose you call them. These are your uh, announcements or intimation section of the service. Not that that should be as part of the service worship. Anyway, but I digress. Welcome one another. Please be seated. <laughs> my friends, my name is Reverend Michael Diaz. Now, this is an audio-only program. I haven't gotten into video yet. <laughs> Always on the screen, it just says he, him for both of these people who are introducing themselves. Um, they seem to have a lot of uh, quote-unquote pastors around the place. And if you are new here, if this is your... Uh... Always be worried if somebody has to say he, him at the end of it, you know, stating your pronouns, because that means you're a better person than anybody else. Of course. You know, the fact that these two men both have beards, it doesn't make it obvious, does it? I, anyway first time with us this morning um, I am in the same boats I'm returning back from a three-month sabbatical and so I may fill out this card with you this morning and so uh, <laughs> if this is your first time here in your seat bags there's a new here card we ask you to please fill this card out and immediately after our worship service if you will meet us back in the connect center we'd love to uh, meet you have a cup of coffee with you we also have a special gift for you and we hope that you'll be blessed by our service just as we are blessed by your presence this morning so welcome to all of our first timers in the same way that we welcome each and every one of us to worship this morning we also welcome all those who are joining us online uh, we're grateful for your presence and want you to know that you are important to us here at cathedral of hope if you're worshiping with us live we sincerely invite you just to uh, chat along in the chat box and we'll make sure that we acknowledge your presence and if you are worshiping after the effect if you'd scan the qr code that's on your screen you'll be taken to our website where you can register your attendance as well now, please don't worry. We're not going to send you an abundance of email. I'm not saying that conservative, actual evangelical churches shouldn't make people welcome. But the service of worship itself is not about the person. We are blessed to be in the presence of God. It should not be a irreverent, jovial, casual attitude. We should have a serious sobriety. If you go to the Directory of Public Worship, uh, the, the Westminster Directory of Public Worship, there's great advice on this. Um, about, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but I'm actually going to go through in the program soon, but about quieting your mind, you know, how to put it, having, not just rushing into worship, but having a reverence toward God, having a, let's try to dig it out there in a second, but we, sh we should have a reverent, sober and serious attitude when we come into the presence of Almighty God especially in public worship. Uh, but we will send you one or two just to let you know that we have noticed you and that we want to connect with you. Uh, let us know where you are around the world and also where you are located spiritually because this congregation welcomes you just as you are. Let's welcome yeah. all of those who are joining us online this morning. Welcome. Avoid the temptation for clapping in services, other things like that, because again, it is to be about God. It's not, and this is one of the things um, I wish to point out as well. This, I don't know if it's just a service of the whole Sunday. It seems like you know, it seems like it's dedicated towards uh, drag queens or whatever else like that. Should we have a serve? How should we have Sundays dedicated to any group? I don't care who they are. It clashes. Number one, it clashes with the Sabbath day. 
If there are other days, remembrance of certain things, I'm not so much against that as long as it's not a relig- turns into a religious holiday. But what about groups within the church? Um, I remember, where is it there? I'm gonna, and I'm not trying to pick on the church that I'm going to pull up here. This is just a random website. And uh, and I'm going to mention the name of the church, but their church calendar, just look it up here. They have Education Sunday, Homeless Sunday, Prisons Sunday, uh, Remembrance Sunday. A lot of churches up here. I think that could be to do with, and some of the, you know, can be, you know, good things. It's, that could be to do with uh, people who fought in the Second World War or something. It's good to remember them, things like that. Nothing can stop, but the Sabbath day needs to be about the Lord. And we're not to, it, it, it kind of, uh, yeah, and I'm not, I'm not for Father's Day and Mother's Day either, by the way, in case you're wondering, because it clashes with the Fourth Commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. And unfortunately, this, see, I'm saying this, see, we can kind of get on cases and obviously you know promoting drag queens is immoral disgusting and we can think about the protection of the family that a lot of people think of people think of the protection of children and the grooming and all the stuff that goes can go on i'm not really tackling it from that angle at all i'm not saying that that stuff doesn't matter sorry there um, I'm going to have to put this on, uh, I have this linked up to my phone and somebody's trying to ring me there. Okay. So you have different days for different, um, different things. Um, this, again, I'm not trying to pick on this church here, but women against violence Sunday world AIDS day. Again, this is a different church. I'm just picking it randomly. And before you know it, it looks like. On this church that I just pulled up, every single or most of the Sundays are all our Sabbaths are all to do with people dedicated towards people rather than, well, what we're supposed to be doing toward God. Let's keep playing this. And, uh... A reminder to all that there is a QR code in your seat backs that you can scan with your smartphone. And if you have any prayer requests or celebrations that you'd like for us to attend to, we are a praying church and we want to stand with you, but also love on you, not just now, but throughout the week. So please uh, offer and share your prayer requests and celebrations. Today. Look, and I'm playing this because you're going to hear, and I'm not saying that because people are nice and friendly. Yeah churches should look for prayer requests in different places but i'm saying that just because they get, they get to are appeared to get certain things right if you don't have the gospel in a place if you don't have a focus upon god self-righteousness will invariably raise his ugly head. It's a celebratory day, as you can see. And behind us, the flowers are in celebration of Trisha Harvey and Paula Kinter. They were legally married in 2013 in Vermont, but they are celebrating 40 years together. A round of applause for them. (laughs) No, I don't. 
yeah, I don't know who these people are. Maybe an LGBT group, quote unquote, couple, not married, whatever the case may be. But uh, but a service of worship needs to be about God, and you see this kind of thing even in quote unquote conservative churches as well. Now, I don't want to spend forever on this clip, so I kind of you got the kind of relaxed audience participation, and I I want to we need to maintain when we as God's people, come into the presence of Almighty God, a sober, a reverent attitude toward God. We don't come casually before God. I just want to pick up something here from the, the Directory of Public Worship. Um, yeah. It says in the Directory of Public Worship of God, it says of the assembling of the congregation and their behavior in the public worship of God, when the congregation is to meet for public worship, the people having before prepared their hearts thereunto ought all to come and join therein, not absenting themselves in the public ordinances through negligence or upon pretense of private meetings. This is the part I really want to emphasize here. Let all enter the assembly, not irreverently, but in a grave and seemingly matter. And seemly matter, manner, sorry, taking their seats and places without adoration or bowing themselves toward one place or another. The congregation being assembled, the minister, after solemn calling on them to the worshiping of the great name of God, is to begin with prayer. So, you see that in a grave and seemly manner. So, there's to be a kind of, um, A sober and a, a serious man. We're coming to the we're coming to the presence of God to worship God. We're not to be distracted by anything else. We're coming into the presence of God, and I think we've we have lost that. We can talk about the woke stuff all we like. We can talk about, oh, look at all the crazy stuff that they do. But unless we get back to being in awe of God, when we come into the presence of God, well, the culture doesn't stand a chance. In order for the culture to be changed, and I don't want this to mean means to an end, first and foremost, the glory of God is the most important thing. But... In order for the culture to be changed and changed from its current trajectory off a cliff, it's that God would be pleased to dwell amongst us and bless us with his presence. And to not to visit us with wrath. Because otherwise, we're going to have our own flavor of self-righteousness. The woke will have their own flavor of self-righteousness, but it doesn't mean that just because you're against woke, you're against drag stuff, you're against woke stuff, that we too cannot have the same self-righteous standard where we're not really listening to God in worship. And we can come up with our own victim status stories. We can come up with our own, oh, I'm being so mistreated and all this kind of thing. 
you even hear it. I'm not going to be playing it here in the program, but I had the displeasure of listening through a lot of the hymns. Look, I don't believe in hymns anyway. Um, I think the regular the principle of worship is very, very clear. That only the Psalms are to be sung in worship because they have been given to us by God and given to us in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs as found in 150 Psalms and found in our book of Psalms. To, to sing those, you probably say, well, where, where can I sing these? Um, TBS have the 1650 uh, metrical Psalter because you can't really sing it straight from the Bible because of the way it's translated. You can sing it straight from the Hebrew, but but when you translate, that can be a different situation. But um, the 1650 metrical Psalter is the best Psalter you can get. And, but being that as a mayor, how we shouldn't be going back to temple worship by reintroducing musical instruments or all these kind of things they could say about their service. A lot of the hymns are very much man-centered about almost, almost like, therapeutic deism you might call it or moral therapeutic deism it's really about fixing the person and uh, a therapy that serves self and I would say a hatred of discernment a hatred of discernment a a lady speaks in the middle um, apparently she's got reverend at the beginning of her name a lot of people spoke during the soul service um not biblical at all. It is, you know, for a woman to have authority over a man or to preach. First Timothy chapter two, verse 12. It's very, very clear. That's a big red flag in any church that is just not interested in what the Bible says. And it is holding the truth and unrighteousness. Yeah, about 25 minutes into the, into the video, at least, a drag queen reads the end of Matthew chapter 9. The last, I think it's the last three verses that were read in Matthew chapter 9, 36, 37, and 38. I'm not going to play that for the sake of time because what we're, well, half, we're half an hour into the program already and I don't, want, I don't want this to be a long program. But what can we take away from this? And I've had the displeasure of listening through this whole service so hopefully you don't have to. And there's a very relaxed, irreverent view of worship. It's all about men. It's all about groups of people. It's all about celebrating men. It's a, it's getting together and celebrating sin and sinners rather than worshiping God. With a hatred of discernment and a hatred of doctrine. It's the, what I mean by therapy gospel, it's almost like it's the salvation becomes saving the person from depths of despair and feeling sorry for themselves and things like that. Now, again, I don't dispute that there are people, genuine Christians with genuine issues psychologically and need patience and help and understanding and things like that. But what you don't do to those people is support them in their sin and their lifestyle. If a person is struggling with a particular sin but is growing, and, and you'd be patient with that person. 
versus a person that is just here's who I am and I'm going to accept I'm going to express my sin <laughs> you know um imagine if somebody was you know it was a drunkard all the time and they were seeking you say well I'm a Christian drunk well same as somebody saying they're a Christian homosexual or Christian drag queen or whatever else they're not fighting with it they're embracing their sin they're not seeking to put their sin to death. They are seeking to really turn away from Christ in their actions. Okay, next thing I'm going to look at here, and this will probably be due for the rest of the program, is 27 minutes, 27 minutes and 40 seconds into this. Now, I looked up this on my YouTube video, which is probably not the smartest thing in the world because there may be videos that play and I apologize if that happens. I hope it doesn't. Sometimes YouTube videos can be a bit unpredictable. So it's 27 minutes and 40 seconds into it. Ooh. Right. And we're going to be critiquing now, I don't know what you call it, a sermon, a talk, or whatever you want to call it, um, by Neil Thomas. And he's talking about family values. And I'm going to critique this for the rest of the program. Oh my goodness. A drag queen reading from the good book. Yeah, that happened, re- that happened, what, a few minutes before that? A drag queen reading the word of God. Yeah, it's, um, it's vile, it's disgusting, but... Please be seated. Friends, before we get into the word, I do want to acknowledge uh, an elected official who's with us this morning. Would you please uh, join me in welcoming council member Paula Blackman, who's with us today for worship. Again, what that has to do with the worship of God is beyond me, because the worship of God when you come into the worship of God, see, we can we can criticize this and say, oh, that's terrible. Who's this person? Are they celebrating LGBT, whatever's? But are we, in our practice, celebrating mere men in the midst of the worship of God? Re- really, it should be all for the glory of God within worship. And this precious little, God is seen as a means to an end. And actually, for them, this God that they, that they serve is a mere idol. And can I invite you to open your hearts and your minds to the power of word. Let us pray. Almighty, beloved, and holy one, we are grateful for your spirit. A spirit that unites us and calls us your people. A spirit that is beyond 
anything that we could imagine. And a spirit that invites us into the ways of goodness. So bless us. Bless us as we gather. Bless us as we have heard words both ancient and modern. Bless us through the songs and hymns that have already been sung and yet so much more to receive. Open us to the power of love. And now, God, I pray that you would touch my lips of clay, mold them into the words that need to be spoken this day. And may the words that come from my mouth and the meditations on each and every one of our hearts, may they be ever acceptable to you. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, as many of you know, who are regular members, friends, and attenders... Isn't it an amazing thing that even such a, such a false teacher as this can sound like, at moments, things... That, and I'm not saying that, yeah, sometimes a, a broken clock is right twice a day. That's why there's a lot of people who are really not... Sound teachers, they just hold back things that they know is not going to be acceptable for people. They'll teach that specific thing. So I guess what I'm saying is always be a Berean. Receive the word with all readiness of mind and compare these things with the scriptures. Acts 17, 11. Here at Cathedral of Hope, we tend to use sermon series as a way of deepening our spirituality through sometimes modern words, sometimes through ancient words. You know, we believe that the ancient word of sacred text calls us into the ways of Jesus. Who would have known that back at the beginning of this year, when we were planning the sermon series for this year, that we would land this Sunday to begin a new sermon series called Family Values. Now, I want to be honest with you, when the church staff said to me, we're going to preach on family values, my hairs on the back of my neck went up. Because generally speaking, when we talk about family values, the first thing that comes to my head is, well, focus on the family. It reminds me of some of the bigotry and some of the ways in which those family values, if you will, have been hijacked by the religious right. So hijacked, as in one man, one woman for life, um, hijacked by what? Um, what Scripture says in Genesis chapter, in Genesis chapter two, or any of the Scripture for that matter. And how so often those family values lead into discrimination and hatred. In fact, sometimes it's even code for those words. I was grateful that they reminded me that we have not lost our minds or thought about what it means to be Cathedral of Hope United Church of Christ. And that there... It'd be interesting to see if he can stop virtue signaling for about five seconds and actually explain what he thinks family values actually are. It's an opportunity for us to live more fully into the values of our faith, to reclaim some of the words that have been used against so many people, and to find a way that if we are truly representative of the way of Jesus, where we are truly representative of the ways of grace and truth and love, that we should embrace those as a part of our spiritual journeys, that those are true family values, that those of us who call... Okay. What about Jesus when he um, says, one to those Pharisees? 
Matthew chapter 25, did he embrace everyone who claimed to be a follower? What about in John chapter 8 when he says, you're of your father, the devil? Jesus didn't embrace everyone, did he now? And he even says that and this is not too far after, long after the, the text that was written about um, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest, he will send forth laborers into the harvest. Um, what was it says here? Yeah, because they're basing it on verse 36. He was moved with compassion on them. So they're, they're taking compassion and they're going off in a completely different direction to what Christ's compassion is for the sheep that do not have a shepherd. But this same Christ who sent his disciples out saying, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand, verse 7, and then this is the next chapter, verse 10, or chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 13, If the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of the house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. What verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment for that city. It's easy just to cherry pick certain parts of the scriptures and ignore the rest. Call ourselves followers of Jesus or followers of the way that we must be bold enough to claim and reclaim for ourselves. That's why when I think of those family values that I was reminded about as a kid, that those family values always moved and leaned into the ways of love. They always leaned into the ways of goodness and compassion, kindness. Love, compassion, kindness, are any of these going to be defined? Because if you have these as empty boxes, then anybody can fill up these empty boxes with whatever they want to fill them with. All of the things that we talk about so often and regularly here at Cathedral of Hope United Church of Christ. And whilst we understand that sometimes in our world it's a challenge to lean and to live into those ways, it is the way of Jesus. And it's not unfaithful of us to lean into them ourselves. Isn't that what Jesus did in his entire... Now, there's some people who will preach like this, and, you know, the, some modern-day preaching, and these people will be somewhat conservative and everything else like that, and say, to lean into the ways of love. You never explain what that is, and that's never going to be unpopular. If you love me, Jesus said in John 14, 15, keep my commandments. What does love look like? Commandment keeping. How would you summarize the law? Is it Matthew 22? I think it's verses 37 to 39, 40. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. To love your neighbor as yourself. Commandment 5 down through to commandment number 10. And th they are the same law of God. 
And another way to summarize those two tables is love. God is love. First John 18, 4, 18. But that love, what does it look like? It looks like following Christ. Christ is the most loving person ever walked the face of the earth. And what did Christ do? He kept the law in every jot and tittle. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, his Father, with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. With every moment, he lived upon the face of the earth. He loved his neighbor as himself perfectly. Not falling short in any way, shape, or form. So, that's what love is. And it sounds nice and you know, to to lean into love. But yeah, but if we're not following God's law, it's not loving. It's not. And to follow Christ means to follow in the commandments of God. Now we fall short, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, of course. But that's what love is. Ministry was to lean into the ways of love. Even when those who persecuted and challenged him, he still found a way to reach out and to make a difference. Those ways of love challenge each and every one of us. And no- With the gospel, repent you for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repent. And again, Jesus is the most loving preacher, man who's ever, true God, true man, who ever lived upon the face of the earth. And he called people to repent to turn from their sins. And to follow him. Wonder Jesus would say that the, the laborers are few and yet the fields are full. Because the truth is there's not many of us who will really lean into love. Love and hate in the same sentence cannot exist for those of us who are called as followers of Jesus. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? If you love something, you hate the opposite thing. For example, if you love children, you know, there's a new movie, was it Sound of Freedom? I haven't seen it or anything like that. People are saying good things about it. If you love children, you're going to hate child sex trafficking. It's going to make you angry. <laughs> you're going to hate it. <laughs> um, if you... If you love peace, you're going to hate noise. You can't love everything. It's nonsense. Now, I would be surprised if not one of us in this congregation this morning have not heard love the sinner Hate the sin. Yeah, and I, I hate that phrase because it's so, it's so over simplified. There's a certain sense which is kind of true, but love the sin, uh, hate the sin. Yes, we have a. It gives us a, there's three categories: 
we we hate we should hate sin in every category really but it's not sin is not well pleasing before us the love of complacency um and we don't support it love of beneficence and love of beneficence and love of beneficence now yes love the sinner as in we love them in terms of giving them things that they need. We show love towards them, beneficent love. But the sinner in their sin is not well-pleasing before us. Not that type of love. Problem is we, we have just this one-dimensional way, way of looking at love. And then when we never gets any de- more to more depth than that, we said, well, how can we understand these things? We can become kind of agnostic about it, but it is important that we distinguish these things. It's a bit of a, it's an overly simplistic, glib way of looking at things. And um, God, those people who come before God, who die in their sins, God will hate their sin, but he will also hate them with a perfect hatred as well. It's called his wrath. His holy wrath. And he's just holy and right to do so forever and ever. Actually, those who do not believe, Jesus warns them that the wrath of God is already upon them. John 3, verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Does that fit into the model of love that they have? The wrath of God is over the person outside of Christ who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. It's words that have been used against many of us. And that love the sinner and hate the sin is in absolute contrary to the ways of Jesus. It hurts me. It grieves me. When so many people hear phrase after phrase, not just those of us in the LGBTQ community, but those of us in the world today, in a religion and in a Christianity that has been so hijacked by culture, in a world where the church is supposed to be counter-cultural. The church. That, from a billion different ways, is complete nonsense as well. Uh, go back for thousands of years. What part? What part of the church has ever the historic church has ever embraced homosexuality or drag queens or anything else like that? Yeah, who has been hijacked by culture? Culture. <laughs> it's supposed to be a representation of what it means to truly love one another as Christ has already loved us. That the church is supposed to be that place where we come not only to find healing and reconciliation with our own selves, but... Healing and reconciliation with our own selves. Healing and reconciliation with our own selves. No. R- spiritual healing and reconciliation in Christ... With God, by trusting, because outside of Christ, we're at war with God. And we need reconciliation with God. 
The problem is us. Trying to find reconciliation with ourselves? You haven't sinned against yourself. You've sinned against God, primarily. To lean more fully into the ways of grace and truth. That wherever we... Re so love then, love becomes, and this is, and you see this in antinomian churches, where discipline is, a, is an ugly word. Where it's unloving and uncaring to ever point out the sin of another person. And to you should do it lovingly, you should do it gently, pointing people toward, away from that sin and pointing out what the word of God points out. You do it, of course, you do it gently and other things like that. And don't come with a sledgehammer at the beginning, you know, because give people the benefit of the doubt, all sorts of things. Unless it's something very, very clear, of course, but I digress. Like, when you have a situation where to call out sin and to have a hatred for sin is seen as itself as unloving, you're in trouble. And that church is in trouble. So I know we're talking about drag queens, and you probably don't have drag queens in your church. If you do, you can get out quickly. But you probably don't. But don't kind of come out of this program and the, like, because it does happen to people. They're more conservative than this, and then they'll get self righteous. And it's, you can be more conservative than this and still be on your way to hell. And have a chip in your shoulder. And think you're better than other people. We're good people. And what we do is good. Why is it good? Because we do it. And the people who gather in the building, who you think are nice, are the measure of all that is loving and good and true. This is what's happened here. In this place. The, the people gathering in the building, their, their collective opinions... Their own self-aggrandizement, their own narcissism, whatever the case may be, has this self-righteousness has led them on this destructive path. It is a wide road that leadeth unto destruction, and many there go thereat. It's a wide road. There's various different ways you can go there, but it's pride and self-congratulation, self-righteousness. So it can come in different flavors. It can Where don't point out sin. Just give the little pep talk. Don't preach. Don't get these people. Prophesy not. Prophesy into smooth things. And that will be the pressure. That is the pressure, by the way, coming in a lot of churches. People, by nature, do not want their sin called out. They're happy for other people's sin to be called out, but not their own sin. And you may be in that situation too. You may not want your sin to be called out. How many of us want our sin to be exposed, our pet sin? How many of us? But we're happy to have somebody else down the road, and we become very, very self-righteous about that.
we must be careful of the sin of self-righteousness. We must be careful to never think of ourselves as good people. We're not good. We do not deserve the least of God's mercies. It is because of God's mercies that we're not consumed. They are new every morning. In our sacred scriptures, especially from John's gospel, where he said, God is love and love is God. I, I listened to this earlier and I, the only place I could find it was not in John's gospel, was First John chapter 4. It's John's epistle. First epistle of John, chapter 4, verse 18, and it doesn't say what he says it says. Unless he's got a tortured translation somewhere, please let me know when we get a radio at gmail.com. That would be an interesting bit of information. In First in John, chapter 4, verse 18, it does not say, well, it says God is love, but it does not say love is God. Like that any expression of love, wherever you find it, is God. That would be horrendous. Um, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Sorry, not verse 18. Verse, is it verse 16? Ah, uh, sorry, verse 16. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. It might, he might just have a really bad translation. It might be something like, the, you know, some excuse for a translation, like the message, which is not a translation, um, or something worse than that, if there is anything worse like that than that out in the market. Who knows what they have. God is, God declares from the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Out of the burning bush, he says to Moses, I am that I am. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. I am at the end of John chapter 8. And they wanted to stone him. The Pharisees wanted to stone him because of that, because of what he said. He is who he is. He is the great I am. He is love. He is truth. He is wisdom. He is glory. He is justice. And as our Westminster Confession of Faith states, he is most loving, most wise. You know, the danger sometimes we think of, we think of love and he is who he is and he is, he is pure being. He is infinite. He is incomprehensible, which is, means literally almost like we can't wrap our minds around him. He is so great. That's why we're going to worship him forever and ever and ever. We're never going to get bored of that. Because of his greatness, of his glory. He is unfathomable. And I can't remember the text in scripture, but it mentions a measure of fathoms down from the boat. That a fathom would measure the depth of the water. And a fathom would, you know, how many fathoms would all go down from, you put down a rope and you count all the fathoms and what the depth of the water is at that point. God is without 
limit. He, you can't measure him. Incomprehensible. You could go a billion miles in one direction, out into the galaxy, God would still be there. Into the middle of the sun, if you could so, if you could so manage it, God would be there. He is infinite in glory and power. He's holy, holy, holy. The, the heaven and earth contains, or not contains, nothing contains him. Solomon points that out. I think it's in 1 Kings. That the, the temple he built could not contain God. Yes, his special presence comes into the Holy of Holies. And his special presence comes to, to his people in, the, you know, in, in public worship. And there's a blessing between by being in the presence of Almighty God. But he is omnipresent because he's infinite. And he as himself is love. What is love? God is love. But not love is God. Not love is God. Our feeble, creaturely, limited love is not like the pure love of God. His love is pure. His love is without shadow of turning. His love is without any aspect of diminishing. His love never wanes and never changes. But also at the same time, he is also, you could also say he is love. He is also hatred. What do I mean by that? His wrath is revealed from heaven above against all unrighteousness. Romans 1 Verse 18, he is who he is. I am who I am. And against the, the those who break his law, his wrath is revealed because his righteous standards has been violated. In verse 18 of Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteous ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. He his being, his standard, his perfections reveal from heaven his displeasure and hatred of all that goes against that. And we can't say, we cannot say, it is a there's a there's yes there's we've been created in the image of God so we do love, but not in exactly the same way that God loves. God loves unchangeably. God loves righteousness unchangeably, and that's why when we're in Christ, for those who've trusted in Christ, have turned their back on sin, they will be received in Christ. Not in their own sin. <coughs> Let's continue with our critique. That whenever we see something that is not love, then we know that it's not God. It's a God that we've created, not the God that Jesus...
So love, anywhere we see love, it's to be worshipped. Any expression of love. That's a really distorted teaching. Our love is, we've been creating the image of God, and it's analogous, you could say, because our love is not on the same infinite level we are we are creatures that are subject to passions. One minute we love, and next minute we're, we're hate. One minute we're happy, one minute we're sad. But God is not subject to such passions. He's without passions. It doesn't mean he doesn't care. Our God is most loving at all times. He never, in any way, gets to a point where he doesn't, where he isn't most loving, most wise, most kind, all these things. But we can't say that every single expression of creaturely love is God. I don't know if this is just, I don't know if this is just a sloppy presentation and he's just stopping off the top of his head and he's making a mistake here. I know he's not the most orthodox individual in the world. Sometimes when I don't know if he's just hastily quoting or if it's been well prepared in his head. I'm not sure. I'm I'm hoping it's just a he's misspeaking a couple of times. It's possible. It's wrong what he's saying, but worships as a God that we have made manifest in our world. And that we, as those who are called as followers of the way this day, must reclaim that for ourselves as sacredness as our own bodies. Love. It's a word that gets thrown around quite a lot. I remember as a kid, um, I was not keen on cabbage. Okay, I think for the sake of time, I'm going to have to skip ahead because this is taking longer than expected. He talks in 38 minutes, uh, a few minutes later, about safe spaces. Um, actually, you know what? I think it's worth going there. Hopefully I'll get it at the right timestamp. Readers who do such an amazing job of making sure that we are in and safe and sat in our seats by the time that the service starts, that not one of us knows what is below the surface of our smiles, that not one of us knows what week we've had, what hate perhaps we have received, and that the job of our ushers and greeters on Sunday morning is to demonstrate love in action, to demonstrate compassion, and to find a way in which we might reach beyond the surface of our own emotions. I'm grateful for the ways in which we provide sacred space, safe space for every single human being, regardless of where we are on life's journey. Safe space. Put it in other words, don't expose my sin. Don't make me feel uncomfortable. Uh, you accept as you are. It doesn't matter what level of perversion you are involved in. You will never be called out. A person who's, you should be, you know, a Christian church should be welcoming. Of course it should. But there's also a sense in which a person who's living in gross immorality should, in one sense, feel welcome, but also uncomfortable. Welcome that the people will shake their hand, maybe chat with them, be patient with them, and and do be patient with a person who's coming from a non-Christian background because they don't know how to... They don't know how to behave and things like that, and they may do stuff that may be slightly inappropriate at times that they don't know, okay? However, 
when they listen to the sermon, when they listen to Christians talk about God, when they do all these things, the unbeliever who's coming in off the street is going to, by necessity, feel uncomfortable. And if they don't feel uncomfortable, if they don't feel like they're outside looking in, how are we any different from the world? We've made a psychological, a fundamental error in thinking that the reason why people are going to come to church or anything else like that is because we're so nice. No. If they're going to come to church and keep going, it's because they're going to love the same God that we love. Now, some other people will sometimes come to church. Sometimes people who are not even believers and sometimes we're not even sure where they're there. Um, they, you know, they can keep coming, of course, and we pray that they'll come to know the Lord. But ultimately, worship is not even primarily about them. It's about God. And the Spirit of God may well be doing a work in that person's heart. You may have seen somebody come to church for two, three years before they get converted. God is doing a work in their heart. They know they have to come back again to church, but they haven't quite been converted. They are going to have a certain degree of uncomfortableness because they haven't quite come to the point of saving faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm skipping ahead here. Um, So this is 40 minutes and 20 seconds into it where he says something pretty horrendous. I'm going to play it just, just really, really, just for the sake of record. Some of our drag community have had to face, especially over these last couple of years, and certainly... The big crime here is making anybody feel bad. If anybody's sad, if... If anyone's unhappy, the person who's made them unhappy has done wrong. And it's not just in churches like this that this kind of thing is happening. In this year, who have heard all sorts of things about their art. I want to say it clear from this pulpit this morning, drag is not a crime. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. No quoting of scripture, no attempt. No attempt. Make no mistake about it. False teachers such as this are evil. They're guilty of some of the worst crimes. Because they are peddling lies about the Lord claiming that they've been called by God. And as I said in Jeremiah, I did not send them. God says about the prophets, I did not send them, yet they ran. In in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto the man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. Scripture versus the opinion of men versus the feeling of men. And look, this this wouldn't have happened years ago. You know, like it's going to get worse. But at its core, it's this narcissism. At its core, it's this victim mentality. At its core, sin in their world, in, in these kind of churches, is making f- people feel sad rather than going out jolly and happy out of church. Sometimes necessary preaching that convicts a sinner will make you feel sad and will make you feel happy. 
However, when that person repents and grows to know the Lord more, they will find either if they come to know Christ in the first place, that joy for the first time, or a greater degree of joy. Because sin brings misery. But there's plenty of conservative churches. They don't have drag queens. They don't have a bunch of other things. But they do a lot of similar things. And they worship God according to, not according to the word of God, but according to men's will. And they bring political messaging in as well. And what I mean by that is, I suppose politics can be kind of a, you can make application towards politics because there is a responsibility for magistrates to serve God and to obey God and to follow the law of God. And people have a civic responsibility. But what I mean by political is more current day practice. I don't know. If you say if you're a conservative church and you were saying, I don't know, in in England, conservatives are fantastic, even though the conservatives are just as wicked as uh as the as the Labour Party in England or or other parties that claim to be whiter than the snow are not so much, and yet you're still supporting them I suppose pragmatic politics invading the pulpit not a good thing not a good thing so I'm going to just play this this is the last part it's really really sad but I think it's important that we play this this is a clip that has gotten around certain parts of the internet and I might I'm not going to play all of it, but I'm just going to play a, a section of it. Basically, people repenting of Christianity for victim culture. And they're all called up the front to recite this thing. Um, let's play. I'm going to invite you to join me in a litany this morning and our offering call. And we're going to invite all of those who identify with the drag community to come forward at this time including our sisters and representations of the community to come, uh, to please be, um, I'm about to say at my feet, but I don't mean it that way, uh, but to come in front of the communion table. If you identify with the drag community, please come and join us at the front, one and all. But again, there are other days of the year in a lot of churches where you have a worship service centered around a certain group of people. Today it's going to be drag. Some other day it'll be somebody else. Don't get it where it's for. The worship service must be about God. It must be about God. I'm not saying you can, like, sometimes in churches, people will thank people and different things like that you know, for services done and things like that. But outside of the worship service of God, and, yeah, outside of the worship service of God. But so many things can creep into the worship service of God, and that can corrupt worship, or at least. And people then confuse the difference between the holy and the unholy, or that which is set aside to God, and that which is not, and that which is of common use. This is still during the worship service. 
apparently. And at the front, there's a lot of drag queens to the right. This is a leader and people response, and so the responses will be on the screen or indeed in your order of worship. For too long, we have denied the full expression of God's loving diversity. We have silenced the voices of the queer community, denied beauty of drag, and stifled self-expression. And the arrogance of the modern day. Look, here's the thing, right? We've come along, we're going to fix all the problems of the past. And we're not going to learn, we can't learn anything from the past. Because like, Let's face. This is more one of the most egregious examples of it. But when you've got this, what? Not generally a fan of C.S. Lewis, but when he called chronological snobbery, which is you can't. You you basically you're not learning from the past or anything like that. You just pass judgment upon it, and you're better than them, kind of thing. And. We've got to be careful that this self-righteous arrogance does not arise in our own hearts. By the way, I even say, look, we're all guilty of it at times. Over the years, sometimes you read a certain author and you think, oh, he was so wrong in this. And then and then a while later you go, oh, that's what he's talking about. And it's humbling. So pride is an ugly thing. No matter what the heart it arises in. Today, we declare that we will no longer stand idly by as oppression and discrimination are allowed to thrive. We commit... And Christianity is the, is the oppression they're talking about. Christianity is oppressive to them. ...ourselves to be the people of faith who stand for justice, who proclaim love and who defend the rights of all people. We're, 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 we're going to do this. We're fantastic. We're going we're gonna to share love. We're going to sh- defend the rights of... Look at us. Look at how fantastic we are. Haven't you seen how amazing I am? I'm not going to be like those other people. And they're just like the Pharisees. You know, in Luke chapter 18, isn't it, that the Pharisee says... I. You know, I thank thee, O God, that I'm not like this publican or this tax collector. Again, it's self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is ugly, whether it's in a liberal church or not a liberal church. Be careful of it. We recognize that all people are made in the loving image of God, no matter who they are, how they dress and express themselves, or who they love. Apply that logic to, I don't know, Hitler. Doesn't matter what they do in their expression or who they love. Well, Hitler loved the German people and his expression of loving the German people, well, he's, obviously it's a messed up, distorted view of that, is uh, killing six million Jews. So, doesn't matter, you can embrace that. It's just, it, see, it's, it's just illogical nonsense. And it's... It makes no sense and it's void of any, any semblance of, it can't make sense. It falls apart. It purely is based on subjective feelings.
unity and commit to lifting up the voices of the LGBTQ plus community and creating spaces where everyone can thrive. Drag queens are often targets of hate and violence, but we know that they are powerful and resilient people who show us what it means to be truly authentic and expressive. We honor their strength and we pledge to be allies to the drag community, recognizing the full humanity and their incredible contributions to our world. Look at us. We're accepting them. Look at how amazing we are. Look at how selfish, you know, it's basically yourself, right? We're, we're so much better than everybody else. And we're not going to do what everybody else is doing. We're going to embrace you. We're going to we're going to find out. Here's the thing. You're all wrong. We're all, yeah. The scriptures are basically wrong. And, and uh, yeah, it, it becomes like, oh, we're going to show love. We're going to define what love is, by the way, as well. And I guess what I'm saying is here, we've got to be careful that we don't pat ourselves on the back no matter what we do. We are but unprofitable servants, no matter who we are. No matter who we are. Hopefully that has been a blessing. It's probably not the most uplifting topic to go through. Next program, hopefully going through the Westminster Larger Catechism. I think we're going to be going through the... I think it's the Lord's Supper. The next few questions from the Westminster Larger Catechism. Lord willing, that will be uploaded next Tuesday. If you have any programs or things you would like me to cover, Megiddo Radio, that's M-E-G-I-D-D-O radio at gmail.com. It's been Paul Flynn. Thank you all for tuning in. Talk to you all again next week.